Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to a weekly podcast made by Miami Dolphin fans for Miami Dolphin fans. Your source for entertaining Dolphin news, insight, and general conversation. Here's your host... Michael Fink. Hey everyone, it's Mike with the Fin Fans Podcast. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about the demise of the Dolphins, the fall of the team, the uh, uh, crash of a dynasty. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's multifaceted. We've all got our own ideas as to what the cause was. I'm going to give you a little bit of a history so you have an idea and uh, We'll go from there uh, with uh, Jim Johnson and Louis Ragone, who I'll introduce as soon as I'm done here. You know, Joe Robbie bought the team in 1966. He uh, owned it until he passed away in 1989. Uh, His first hire was Joe Thomas. He hired him in 1966, and Thomas was here until 1972. He also hired George Wilson to coach the team. Uh, Wilson coached the team from 66 to 69. Now, in 72, he had a falling out with Thomas, uh, and he ended up replacing him. But uh, before that, in 1970, he hired Don Shula. Shula was here from 1970 to 1995, as most of you know. So in 1972, to replace Joe Thomas, they hired Bobby Beathard. Bobby Beathard was not phenomenal here. He had a much better career in Washington, building the Hogs and that team. After Robbie passed away, Tim Robbie took over uh, ownership of the franchise. He uh, uh, owned the team from 1990 to 93. The problem was they were struggling financially, so they, they brought in Wayne Izanga to uh, uh, control half the stadium and, and help funnel money to the team. But uh, Izanga ended up buying Robbie out uh, and because they couldn't afford to do anything else, and he started on his path. He hired Jimmy Johnson right after Shula was dismissed. Uh, Johnson was here from 96 to 99. He was, you know, a smart identifier of defensive talent, but he was not so great at finding offensive talent. And uh, the team had moderate success, but never accomplished anything more than they did before Shula was hired. When Johnson was let go uh, at his own request, he asked that, Dave Wanstatt be given an opportunity. He was. That lasted from 2000 to 2004. In the middle of 2004, the team was struggling mightily, and they fired Wanstatt, and they brought in uh, Jim Bates as an interim coach. 2004, they also hired Rick Spielman uh, to be their general manager. That wasn't given much time to work because in 2005, uh, 
they hired Nick Saban. Nick Saban was here for 2005 and 2006. Uh, they also hired Randy Mueller as uh, Nick's GM, and he was here uh, 2005 to 2007. Speaking of 2007, they made a hire of Cam Cameron to coach the team. That didn't work out so well. So in 2008, they were both dismissed, and uh, Bill Parcells was brought in to run the operation. Bill hired Tony Sperano, and he hired Jeff Ireland. Now, Sperano lasted till 2011. Ireland lasted to 2013. But in 2009, Stephen Ross bought the team from uh, Wayne. Obviously, he still owns the team today. Uh, but his first real move came a year later after he bought the team when he tried to court Jim Harbaugh, who was set to uh, accept a position with the 49ers, and uh, that didn't happen. Jim wanted nothing to do with the Dolphins. So they hired Todd Bowles to finish out that season. They hired uh, that season of 2011. They hired Joe Philbin in 2012. Uh, Joe lasted to 2015, but in the meantime, they hired Dennis Hickey in 2014. So he was GM for two seasons, 2014-2015. Uh, well, in 2015, they had seen enough of Joe Philbin, and they fired him, and uh, Dan Campbell finished out the year. Uh, so in 2016, they again decided to go a different direction. They brought in Adam Gase. They uh, promoted... Uh, Chris Greer to GM, and uh, he's still GM today. Uh, well, Adam Gase was let go last year, and they brought in Brian Flores, and that's where we are now. If you look back at this, what you see is change after change after change after change, and uh, uh, nobody other than Ireland has really been given an ample opportunity to succeed. Uh, Cam Cameron didn't deserve it, but we could make a case for uh, the rest of these guys may be getting a little bit more of an opportunity. I, I think Philbin, you could go either way on that one. You know, he wasn't uh, he wasn't a great leader of men, and that that was kind of obvious. But uh, you know, it, things could have been handled differently with Saban. Things could have been handled differently with Sperano. Uh, I think if they would have give Saban a little more say over personnel, he probably would have stayed. At least that's what he said later, whether or not he's being honest, who knows, because Saban has a tendency of lying. But uh, anyway, uh, so that's it. I mean, you know, just a whole lot of turmoil since uh, Don Chula stepped aside, and it's hard to put together a winning program when you're constantly moving the pieces around that are going to make the decisions to uh, uh, form your franchise. Because what happens is, Everybody is making decisions for today because they're worried about tomorrow, and uh, you you don't have anybody looking out for the long-term interests of the team because they don't have enough stability to believe they're going to be there. So that doesn't help your team, and that's the problem that we've had with a lot of these uh, people that we've hired. Uh, they've made a, decisions for today and not necessarily decisions for tomorrow. Uh, Tannehill's a perfect example of that. You know, they, they stuck with him through different regimes and they never, ever challenged him because they were trying to get him to work and they didn't want to expend future resources uh, to, to develop QB behind him. So, you know, it's a mentality. You've got to give somebody some security if you want them to build your team and and take the necessary steps to do that. So hopefully they've done that with Flores. We'll see. But 
I believe that's a lot of the reason for the team's failure over the course of time. All right, so that's going to go ahead and uh, finish up what I thought uh, was a good part of the problem. Uh, obviously, it's not the only problem. There were other things that contributed to our decline. Uh, uh, poor free agent choices, poor draft choices, and uh, to tell you a little more about those things, I have uh, Jim Johnson with me. Hey, all. And I have Lou Rion with me. Hello, hello. Jim, why don't you tell us about some of those uh, free agent uh, decisions? Yeah, I can I can help with that a little bit. Uh, it's a bit painful to to look at when we see how many swing and a misses we had, but I basically covered, you know, looking back from 2000 to present. I started with, uh, you know, the year after Dan Marino retired, and, uh, you know, that was when the wheels started to fall off the bus as far as team cohesion and all of that. But I will say that in those 19 years from 2000 through 2018, we we signed over 150 free agents. And in that number is some guys that we traded for. They weren't actually free agents, but since they're not drafted, uh, they're closer to free agent picks than, uh, than, than just falling through the cracks. So in 2001, we signed Ray Lucas, another quarterback that was subpar. Uh, you know, there's a lot of names nobody's going to remember. And then come 2002, we did pick up a really good guy that most people should know, and that's Ricky Williams. We picked him up from New Orleans. He's really one of our best free agent pickups. Trade, however you want to look oh, yeah, at it. Yeah, he was a trade. They gave him yeah. two number ones for him. Yes, exactly. But I did pull the trades in with free agency because, he, you know, in this thing, we're not really, we don't have a trade guy, so a trade person. So... You know, it was, you know, a pickup. We had to make moves to get him. So, you know, after that, you know, there's more nobodies. Uh, Larry Chester, a DT. Rob Burnett, a DE. Robert Edwards, another running back. You know, when we moved on to 2003, we thought we were going to get another Greasy, and uh, we signed Brian Greasy. And, uh, you know, we signed eight guys in 2003. Only three of them made the roster. I, when I was doing this research, 80% of the names didn't ring a bell at all to me. And I was like, man, this is just not good. So, you know, moving into the to the Saban years, um, you know, we signed an, an O-tackle, Damian Cook. We signed a fullback, some people will know, because they don't like him on the television set now, Heath Evans. Another overachieving or underachieving quarterback, Gus Farratt. Uh, Stalker McDougal, a tackle. Donnie Spragan, a linebacker. Tavares Tillman, a safety. Again, a couple of average players, but most of them were a waste of resources completely. In 2006, moving on, we signed 11 free agents, but only six made the team. Will Allen was a pretty good cornerback for us. Andre Goodman, cornerback. Ronaldo Hill, another cornerback. Keith Newman, a linebacker. Justin Peel, a TE. L.J. Shelton, another O-tackle. Again, you know, of those of that group, you know, Will Allen was really the only one that made much of an impact for us. And in 2007, it started to get ugly. We only brought in three, excuse me, five free agents. Uh, but we let like nine or ten go in free agency because we were purging cap. 
we got another guy, Jay Feely, who was a kicker we brought in. Uh, David Martin, a TE. Cameron Worrell. The names go on and on. And the thing that sticks out is you're not hearing any Pro Bowl names. You're not hearing any guys that made the winning catch in the playoff game. You're not hearing any anybody that really went to the Pro Bowl, made a name for himself on the Dolphins or any other team. No impact players. Yeah, there's no impact there. You know, uh, with the exception of Ricky Williams, and it cost, you know, and, and Jay Fiedler. You know, those guys were good for us. Tim Ruddy, uh, he was a good center for us for a number of years. But still, there was too many swings and misses. And I haven't even gotten to some of the worst deals that we've had. Uh, they were more recent, but... You know, it's just, you can't miss on that many free agent guys. And, and they're normally stopgap people. But when you're trying to fill a void, you need a player that is at least going to be average or better. And a lot of these players just never made an impact on the team. Uh, Lou, how do you feel the draft picks during some of that time affected all of these things? Well, before I get started on that, let me just... Uh touch on some of the things that you touched on re in regard to free agency. Uh, some of the deals, like you said, were just absolutely horrendous in regard to money situations. Um, in my opinion, the Sioux, the Sioux signing really strapped us in a lot of ways. And the production that we got out of him, I don't think amounted to the amount of money that we had. We just didn't, we didn't win enough games. He wasn't productive enough over his time frame with us. Yeah, you and know it, what, though, Lou, it goes back further than that. LB oh. and Wheeler, and, and it was a slew of guys that we paid a lot of money to that we really didn't get much in return. Without a doubt. I mean, you can go back to 2009 with Jake Grove. Do you yes. guys remember him? Yes. Oh, yeah, he, well. He, he signed a four-year, $28 million contract with us. Mario Williams is a more recent guy who, you know, got a nice contract and really didn't amount to much. Uh, Eric Green, Richard Marshall back in 2012, three years for $16 million. I mean, so, some of the contracts that these guys got and, you know, the, the pattern that, that you're seeing here, and I think it happens with a lot of other teams as well, is the fact that free agency just isn't – you have to be extremely smart in regard to the guys that you sign – and a lot of teams make the same mistakes we do. Uh, I think other teams have hit on more than we have, but it's it's a crapshoot, you know, just much like the draft that I'm going to get into in a minute. But, you know, again, touching on the guys that, you know, that uh, I just spoke about and a lot of the guys that you mentioned, it, it it's really not the, in my opinion, it's not, it's not the avenue to go down. You've got to draft well. And you've got to have impact players through the draft and then supplement that foundation with free agents that are, you know, role players, so to speak, you know, that fill in positions that you may need an upgrade at, um, you know, to go out and get like a real, real impact player that's just going to turn your team over. It just doesn't happen. You can look around the league and you'll see it over and over again. It just doesn't happen all that often. Now, with that being said, our draft has been a major, major factor in regard to the reasons we have not been successful for, for so long. Back in 1995, 
we may have had one of our worst drafts ever. Uh, you know, the, the guys that were picked up in that round, let me just throw some of these names in that draft, I should say. Billy Milner, Andrew Green, Pete Mitchell, Norman Hand, Jeff Kopp, Corey Swinson, and Shannon Myers. Now, do you guys remember any of those guys? That's first through seventh, seventh rounds right there. Do you remember just, any of them? I just, remember two of them, Norman Hand and one of the earlier ones you mentioned. Yeah, Milner I remember, but yeah, it, so it's not – it's only by, you know, I think he was our first round pick, and and we're supposed to remember those guys. Yeah, Correct. he wasn't. He wasn't good. Yeah, no, no, he wasn't. he wasn't. I just remembered him because he was a first round pick. That's it. <laughs> Correct. Now, you know, I know, Mike. You you give <laughs> you give Jimmy Johnson, <laughs> you give Jimmy Johnson a, a bad hand there for the most part. But you know what? Well, no, 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 no. I give him a bad hand on his offensive selections. Defensively, he did great. Right. He did a phenomenal job over the next few years. 96 through 99, he brought in a lot of really, really solid players for us, like Zach Thomas, Sertan, Madison, a lot of good players. Now, in regard to the offense, Mike, he did attempt to bring in Util Green with a number one pick, and unfortunately— That was a bad circumstance, yes. It was a bad circumstance, so he attempted. He also brought in Jason Taylor. So we had a couple of really solid years, and with that, the preceding years that followed those drafts, we actually were a pretty solid team. But then we go back downhill. You know, you look at, we had 46 players, okay, drafted in the first round after those early years. Now, where we had Greasy and Zonka and those type of guys drafted. Now, of those 46 players, okay, we have a combined 26 Pro Bowls out of our first round picks among those 26 Pro Bowls. And 23 of those Pro Bowls came from only six players, okay? So now you're talking about 46 first-round draft picks, and the majority of your Pro Bowls have come from six of those. Webb had seven. Bill Stanfill had five back in the 70s. Jake Long had four. Pouncey had three. Roy Foster had two in the 80s, and Tim Bowens had two. So if you go say, mid-80s forward, there's not a lot Nothing. of impact there. Crickets, crickets. From all of those first-round pick. And basically, if you, look at, if you look at the long draft, okay, I kind of put, you know, I could have put a <laughs> – if you look at Matt Ryan and what he's done – and you look at what we did, you kind of like almost look at that draft like, you know what, that may have been a mistake as well. Now, he was a very productive player for us, but when you consider the fact we could have had Matt Ryan there, it kind of like puts a, you know, a damper on that draft as well. So, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Jake Long, but that could have been a major you know, a uh, mistake as well. Well, using hindsight, you'd have to say it was a mistake. You would absolutely have to say, especially with the struggles that we've had at quarterback. So, you know, it, and it goes beyond that. Uh, you know, you can go to second round picks, okay? Uh, <laughs> Wanstat in 2003 drafted a guy named Eddie Moore in the second round over 
Anquan Bolden. When we desperately need off, we needed offensive players. We still had a very solid defense. We needed receivers. We had a very good, very good running back in Ricky Williams, but he chose a linebacker that we didn't necessarily necessarily need an Eddie Moore over Bolden. Then we took Beck in 2007, Pat White in 2009. These are all number two draft picks. Uh, Thomas, the running back in 2010. Jonathan Martin in 2012. Jamar Taylor in 2013. And Jordan Phillips, the great Jordan Phillips, his (laughs) self-proclaimed great Jordan Phillips in 2015. So, our second round picks have not been good as well. Now you might as well trade them for a quarterback. There you go. Right. Well, that <laughs> that, that <laughs> the verdict's now, still out on that as well, Mike. Okay. Oh, man. Let's that not was go a, there. That was a needle to the side on that yeah, one. It was. Uh, it was. But Jay oh, Feely's in the back of my mind too. Uh, so. Yeah. 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 Right. So you know when you look at our first two rounds. You know, you can you can really, really see why this team has struggled so much. It's not only our first round picks, it's our second round picks that are that are hurting us as well. There's been some good ones mixed in. You know, Landry in 2014, you know, Xavier Howard in 2016, and then you can go back to 2001 with Chambers and 2009 with Smith, the cornerback. But boy, other than those few guys since 2000, that is it, guys. And that is not saying a lot. It really no. isn't. So, you know, to my point, you know, the draft has been a major, major reason as to why this franchise has failed so much over the last couple of decades. Yeah. So, you know, what we're saying is there's no stability. Uh, there's poor drafting and uh, the free agent decisions have been uh, less than admirable. Absolutely. No quite no question. And and Lou, you mentioned Jake Grove and that's that was coming up. I stopped in 2007 with the with my free agent debacle here. Uh, you know, Parcells took over in 2008 and uh he brought in a whole bunch of guys, 12 free agents. Of course, new new management that happens, but he brought in Chad Pennington at the last minute. And uh, that was a really good signing for us. We went from uh, virtually no wins to uh, I think one and fifteen to to eleven and five the next year. So that was a good a good signing. Uh, he also brought in Randy Starks, another good player for us, DT. And uh, he brought in Andy Anthony Fasano, a tight end that was good for us for a number of years. But with those three guys, he, he the other guys are. Just a bunch of no-names that really didn't amount to much for us. The nine other guys, Charlie Anderson and Reggie Torber and things like this. And then in 2009, he did sign that Jake Grove. And when I did my research, it was five years, $29 million. He was cut after the first season. And he only played for 10 games for the, for the team. It cost us $14 million for those 10 games. And the, the, the worst part about that Jake Grove deal is he had never, he'd only had one complete season in his previous uh, three years. It's just pathetic. And nobody else had interest in, in Jake Grove at the time. And we had Samson Satelli on the roster at the time, and we moved him out back to Oakland, where Grove came from. 
And he ended up going playing 42 out of 48 games for the next three years. And then he went on to be the starting center for Indianapolis. So that was a move that set us back that 14 million plus we lost a decent center. So, you know, we moves like that just, just, well, that's what, that's what happens when schemes change. Yeah. Yeah. And that's but, what happens with the instability. And, and no doubt you have a different general manager and then you got a different head coach and now the, the head coach stays and the, and the manager's gone and we never could clean house and start fresh. And I think that was a lot of the issue uh, another bad contract was Jabril Wilson, uh, brought in to be a, another safety to compliment Jeremiah Bell, and that didn't work out. Uh, just a short-lived waste of time. You know, we brought in a receiver, Ernest Wilford, signed a four-year, $13 million deal and was only active for seven games and accumulated three catches for 25 yards. Zero touchdowns. And then he was gone. You know, so these types of moves... You can't be successful as a team when you're spending resources to, to make these kind of sideways plays. And, you know, you mentioned Ndamukong Sue. You know, I have him in, the, in like, my yellow category. He's, he was a great player, but he was too expensive in it, and it handicapped the team, for, and it's still handicapping us. You it know, hurt us more than he helped us, trust yes, me. Yes, exactly. And I agree, kind of, yeah. To kind of summarize where I'm going with all this free agency, we signed like over 150 free agents over those 19 years. That averages out a little over eight per year. And we only had 28 of those, if I count them, that were better than average or good players for the team. That's that's only 18% of those free agent picks. Now, sometimes you're you're forced into a, a free agent pick because you've got a hole and you've got to plug it somehow. But you know, 18% is just unacceptable. You can't you can't field a solid team if you're if you're missing 80% of the time. Yeah, no doubt, uh, no question. I'm in total agreement on that. You know, I I've never been a big fan of free agency. I just haven't. No, I think I think you and I share the same thought process. The free agency should be used to supplement the draft and supplement re-signing your guys. Um, it should be your depth. You're building depth through free agency. You shouldn't be looking for superstars or top-end starters uh, through free agency because it's too expensive. And if they bust, you're paying for them for years. Exactly. I mean, look at how many guys that we've had, you know, or we've allowed to walk. And if you look at you look at it in regard to guys like Clay and Lamar Miller, who's been very, very solid, but was he worth the money that the Texans signed him to? Was Charles Clay worth the money that Buffalo signed him to? Was Vernon worth the money that no. the Giants signed him to? Absolutely not. So you know, when you when you look at guys that you draft and you want them to stay around, it's really a, it's really a tough call on a lot of those. And and with the way free agency is and the money that's being thrown at the, these guys, it just makes it really really hard as a GM to make those decisions. You know, in regard to whether it's worth the money to keep these guys. You know, I know there's ways that they can match it and. We can get into all that other stuff. I don't want to go there because it's long and boring. But 
the point of the matter is that the GM situation is very, very difficult when it comes to your own players. I think you have to pick your spots, Lou. I mean, you know what positions you prioritize in your schemes. Maybe it's your left tackle. Maybe it's your right cornerback. Whatever it is that you prioritize, those are the guys who you're going to pay. And if it's not one of those positions that you absolutely prioritize, then you're not going to pay more than market value. Right. And that's smart. That That's the smart way to go about it. Um, you know, there's there's a few other factors in regard to why this team has suffered so much over these last two decades. And, you know, we touched, I think we all touched on it in regard to the quarterbacks. You know, you look at the list of names, you know, Ray Lucas, who Jim mentioned, A.J. Feely, Farratt, Henny who was drafted, Trent Green, who was brought in, Cleo Lemon, Joey. I just ha- ate, Lou. I just ate. Joey Harrington. It goes on and on and on. If we had a quarterback that made some type of impact, I mean, look at what Pennington did in that one season. He was able to make plays, and he got us into the playoffs. Past him, since Fiedler, who was – to me, very average as well. He just had a pretty solid team around him. You know, we just haven't had not one guy, not one guy that I feel is he an was above great, average. He was great compared to John Beck and Cleo Lemon. Right. Above average. <laughs> right. Exactly. Above <laughs> average quarterbacks. There's few and far between on that list. You just those guys were all decent quarterbacks at some point. I mean, I think Farad had a couple of decent yes. seasons in the NFL. So Fe- Trent Green, Feely, I think had a good half a season with the Eagles right before we decided to give up what a second or what did we yeah. give up for him? A second I, or a third I round? I think it pick? was a second. Right. I mean, but again, it's like Scott Mitchell. You know, he had a halfway decent end of season here, and yeah. he went out to Detroit and bombed you know? yeah yeah well he had some really good years early on with with uh, yeah. Detroit and yeah, then but, he kind of uh, yeah. you know went out the window but my point is is that since Mitchell and Marino there's been few and far between because Mitchell was here at the same time Marino was basically and uh, since then it's just been non-existent um you know, there is one other thing I want to touch on but it sounded like you wanted to say something Mike so go ahead no 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 go ahead so I, I'm going to put some blame in regard to this franchise and where it's at now on Joe Robbie as well, Mike. Uh-huh. And are you going to ask me why? Why? Well, I, I think I know why. <laughs> I think I know why, but go ahead. Well, Mr. Robbie decided to move our Miami Dolphins out of the Orange Bowl. Yep. Okay. Now, at the time, go ahead. I'm listening. You're trying to say the hex is on, huh? Not so much the hex, Jim, but the point of the matter is is that the Dolphins, just listen to these numbers, okay? Now, if you exclude their first four years, which, they, I mean, they were basically a, an expansion team, and their record over those four years at home was 9-18, nine and, nine and 18, okay? If you scratch that, those first four years, over the remaining time that they spent— Pre-Shula. Pre-Shula and expansion, Mike, yeah, because yeah. honestly, they were playing with a bunch of, you know, has-beens and you right. know, over-the-hill type guys. Anyway. Yeah, they had trouble just filling the roster at the time. You know, not a lot of extra football players kicking around back then. Right. So from those first four years on, they were 110 and 39. Okay. 
over that, over those 20 some odd years. Okay. Once they left the Orange Bowl, their record has been 149 and 106 yeah. in Joe Robbie, Dolphin Stadium, whatever the hell it's even called. Now, I don't even know. And I'm a Dolphin fan. I don't even know what the stadium's called. I really don't. Hard I don't. Hard it's rock. Hard Rock now. Hard okay. Rock. There we go. I did know that. Sun, it I was forgot. Sun Life. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard well, to keep track. It's just, it's just incredible. But my point is this is that the Orange Bowl over probably any other stadium in the NFL gave you a major, major home field advantage. Uh, the, the, the stands were literally right off the field. It, it just had an atmosphere that teams came in and they were intimidated by it. They couldn't even hear themselves making play calls. They were The, the fans were literally right behind the vis- visiting team bench, just giving them crap the whole game. It was an intimidating place to play in, and it gave us a major, major home field advantage, which, Mike, me and you both know, when we started experiencing Joe Robbie, which it was called at the time, it just wasn't the same atmosphere. It was nowhere near the same atmosphere. Not even close. It It didn't get nowhere near as loud. You lost that home field advantage. Now, I know the talent and the drafting and all these other factors go in, but in my opinion, that has something to do with it as well. You know, the fact well, that it, it had far reaching implications because he leveraged himself in building that new stadium and in doing so it cost his family the team. Yep. Yeah, it did basically So it caused some of the instability that was to follow. Correct Amongo. And I was gonna get to that, but you beat me to the punch, and I like that, Mike. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it <laughs> The fact that he just kept pushing for it, pushing for it, and eventually got it, I think it hurt us in a sense because, boy, I'll tell you what, that Orange Bowl we experienced it firsthand was just an incredible, incredible atmosphere and a great place to watch a football game. There is, in my opinion, there is no comparison between the two. It's no. not even close. No, it's, it's not, not even close. The electricity is not close. Oh, it was just you know the whole experience and it was it was rough i mean you had to park on people's lawns oh, and oh, the, they, they the, didn't have parking the, the outside, traffic was horrible the, the outside the game experience was horrible i mean you had to go to the bathroom it was horrible it, <laughs> the concession stands were horrible okay but i didn't care about any of that you know exactly i, I enjoyed the football game and that's that was the most important thing that's what you're paying for and then, yeah, not anymore. Now it's a, a whole different ball game. You're, you know, you're going there, and oh, they have all this great food, and they have thousands of bathrooms, and and so on and so forth. But you know what? I'll take the Orange Bowl with guys pissing in the sinks <laughs> when <laughs> yeah. the urinals were yeah. like fifty people <laughs> long. I'll take that any day of the week over yeah. the new stadium. So, so would I. So would I. Yep. But you know, it's just it—it's so many things put it put together. You don't just get this bad this long and not have a lot of things factor into it. Now the question is, Lou, how do they get out of it? Well, you get out of it by drafting, and you have stability in regard to the draft, in regard to the players that you're drafting, in regard to the coaching staff and the front office, all the way across the board, and that—that's how you get to where the New England Patriots are. That, you know, even the Cowboys to an extent, you know, they've had, they've had, 
some different people come in and out over the years, but for the most part, you know, they've done a pretty decent job with keeping, you know, their head coach there now for how many years? He's been there a while. He's been there a while. And you know what? They they haven't been an incredibly talented team on one side of the football, which was the defensive side. Right. But they seem to be getting there with Garrett now. But, you know, the Patriots, if you look at them, you know, they've had coaches come and go, but you've got Belichick there. You've got your people there. The product stays the same. The product stays the same. It's the same system. It's the same philosophies. And the teams that are successful tend to go down that The Steelers path. are the same way. You know, uh, things change there, but they, the product stays the same. And the main thing that I see over the last 20 years, basically since, you know, Shula left, was our last, con- you know, any type of of security or consistency was when Shula was still our head coach. And then, you know, we've had a couple of good ones. You know, Parcells put in a good year. Jimmy Johnson did some good work. And from there, the others were just hit or miss. But the main thing that, you know, we you talked about the Patriots, you talk about the Steelers, the Cowboys. At some point, someplace in those franchises, there has to be a great football mind. And you, you know what else there has to be, Jim? There has to be one voice. Well, exactly, and that's what I'm coming to. You know, you spoke about Belichick, and and Kraft is a good combination because I think Kraft is swift enough to know that to just let Bill do what he needs to do. And exactly. And when you look at you know Jeff Ireland and Mike, I see something shiny Tannenbaum. Uh, you know these guys. You know, when our head coaches were unproven, they're not they're not quality football minds. And you know, you look at some of the of the Donnell Ellerbys and Philip Wheelers and and Dustin Keller signs, uh, you know, Mario Williams, Robert Quinn. These type of decisions aren't going to be made by a better football mind. And I understand you get yourself backed into a corner and you have to make a decision you really don't want to make, but you really have to have a consistent guy calling the shots for more than, you know, 18 months to have any stability or you know, a decent team. Jim, it's, it's a philosophy because if you're drafting poorly, then you start making bad free agent decisions to try and make up for your poor drafting, and it snowballs. Oh, it all goes because together. Because now not only are you drafting badly, but you're now in cap hell. Oh, it's just across the board bad. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So that's why stability is important because they do that because they fear for their jobs, and it you know it just uh, it's a no win situation because no no matter what you do in that situation, if you're not drafting well or somehow acquiring quality players, you know everything else begins to suffer because of it. Well, Gase and Greer were both here in 2016, correct? Um, and they were responsible for the for the draft in that season. Is that accurate? Uh, well, well, yeah, I sort of. Mike Tannenbaum was right. in charge, but Greer was here. But I think Greer was drafting. I do. Yeah, right. that, that's 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 what I'm getting at. So, guys, you know, to go to go on the positive side of all of this, in 2016, you look at our draft, and we had Tunsil. Solid, very solid player. Xavier Howard, Kenyon Drake, Jakeem Grant, 
they all came out of that draft. That's right. Okay? Yeah, that was a good one. Now, in 2017, McMillan, yeah. McMillan, Tankersley, Gacho, Vincent Taylor. Not horrible. And, of course, Charles Harris, who, you know, we're not overly thrilled. Now, not horrible. Not horrible, but the verdict's still out on some of right, those guys. Right, Now, 2018, you had Fitzpatrick, Jerome Baker. Then you have the two tight ends, Jacecki and Smith. You had Balage come out of that draft. So, again, not a bad draft. So, over those three years that Gase and Greer were basically running the show, you look at those players, okay, and you look at our roster right now, and those guys are your foundation. You got Howard, lockdown corner, who's going to be here for another five years. You've got Tunsil, who, you know, it remains to be seen what we're going to do with him, but He's a very nice left tackle, another foundation. You got Kenyon Jake and Jakeem Grant, who are both very exciting players on offense. And then on the defensive side, you got your McMillan, you got your Baker, you got your Fitzpatrick. You have some solid players there that you can build upon. We just have to hope that this draft class does basically what these last few have done, give us a nice foundation. If we get two or three solid starters out of this past draft and we go forward from here and you throw Rosen in the mix and maybe he becomes a solid player. Now you're looking at, now we're going somewhere. So, you know, they haven't done a bad job over the last few years. That's the positive because you do have some very, very solid players there. Yeah, I got to agree. I do like the last few drafts a lot better than previously. And you spoke about foundation players, and 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 that's phenomenal. And and I hope they are cornerstones for the team moving forward. But the way I look at it is, a lot of drafts are busts, or they just don't ever amount to anything in the NFL. And what I like about the last few years is most of our draft picks are at least contributing something to the team. Correct. Previously. You know the Dion Jordans of the world. They don't. He didn't contribute anything to the team other than bad publicity, and he took up a roster spot. And you know those are the types of guys that are detrimental to your team. I mean, if if you play average and and you can contribute, then that's not a loss. But when you're terrible or you or you're a bust, you know that actually hurts the team. No, the, the, those are the guys, though, that you're going to be gone with in four years. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, you, you go back to that 2013 draft, and I, I don't think there's a guy other than, believe it or not, Gillesley, you know, the running Gil, back. Gillesley. Gillesley, yeah. whatever. Yeah. It, he's yeah. with Buffalo. I think he was yeah. with Buffalo last year. I think he, so, too. And Sturgis, I believe, is still in the league, isn't he, somewhere? I would imagine. Or no, I'm not I, sure. But I'm not sure either. Well, but if you, Lou, you mentioned 2013, and I'm going to read to you our free agent class of 2013 so that you can put all the puzzle pieces together. Mm-hmm. Number one was Mike Wallace. Cost us Ugh. $60 million. But he did he did catch five touchdown passes But that okay. year. 
So it cost us three million for every touchdown. Yeah, it, it was just—it's okay. just I called him the wide receiver slash diva princess. Uh-huh. But uh, you know, we signed Danell Ellerby, a linebacker. We signed mm-hmm. Philip Wheeler, a linebacker, oh, and we all know how those horrible. two worked. Uh, we signed Brandon Gibson so he could talk for Mike Wallace, and then uh, <laughs> and then Dustin Keller, a pretty good tight end that uh, that Tannehill got killed, and then. Uh, uh, we did sign Brent Grimes that year. So Brent was the only valuable player we got out of that whole... Well, yeah, they paid $5 million for him. That was a steal. Well, yeah, but, you know, at least they got some return for their money. The rest of these yeah. guys just was he's just setting money on fire. So yeah. Horrible. Yeah, you throw in the draft with Deion Jordan, Jamar Taylor, who was an average player for us yeah, at best. Yeah. Dallas Thomas, yeah. Will Davis, Jelani Jenkins, Deion Sims, who was, you know, kind of okay. a second. Sim- Sims right. was all right. He was okay, but, I mean, he was a fourth-round draft pick, and he right. wasn't anything over the top. The point is is that out of that group, there's not one impact player whatsoever. Right. None. Among all your free agent signings and all your draft picks, the only guy that was an impact player for us was Grimes, like you said, and that—that's just you know, that's horrible. You—you know—you're just not getting enough from from both aspects, you know, from free agency and the draft. And this is why the team just has not been that good. For, yep. It's that simple. Yeah, I, I you know I still think it starts with stability in the front office and stability with the coaching staff. You know. Uh, you've got to have the, the same plan being executed and, and built. And sometimes that takes more than a year or two. You know, you, you've got to have the patience to let your guys do their job and then evaluate at the end instead of trying to self-evaluate all along the process. Agreed. I mean, we, we've just, you know, the positions that we've drafted at, you know, going back to Jim's point um, on, on a few of these on a few of these draft picks, we have basically missed on a ton of offensive linemen just a ton of them embarrassing i mean over and over again it just never never ends with these offensive linemen that we've drafted and it shows you know i mean it that that's why we are where you know i saw the article mike that you put that you posted on the page in regard to us being ranked going into the season the 32nd uh rated offensive line which is of course, the worst in the NFL, and and they deserve it because I don't, you know, unless we have some major major surprises, I just don't think they're going to be that much better than that. Even if they, even if we do get a few surprises out of some of those guys, they lost on. James and they haven't replaced him. So how, I don't, I don't see them being better. No, I, you know, well, I mean, you can only go up from where we were last year, Mike. I mean, some of those numbers were just mind-boggling to me. 69 pressures from the guard position. Is that what I read? I don't even I, – I can't – it was a ridiculous number. Yeah, it's something like that. It, that's it was in, bad. Insane. Yeah. That's the, insane. Over a 16-game season? Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. The thing that was always frustrating with our offensive line for the last uh, five, six, seven years, you watch the game and it'll be a third down – and you just know that somebody is going to fail on the offensive line. And the line should know that they're going to be something coming. They're going to do this, that, or the other. And it's just as if they get the, you know, it's a, the old joke, it's a, you know, a turnstile. And it, but every time something, a play mattered, 
our offensive line broke down horribly. It was it well, was you know, it painful. was a ba- it was a bad offensive line that I don't think the quarterback contributed to in any way. I mean, positively, um, you know, when you when you hold the ball too long and and you can't recognize a blitz and you can't do what your responsibilities are, then it makes the line's job tougher. So you know, a bad line becomes an atrocious line. Hopefully. And I'm not optimistic this is going to be the case, but hopefully Rosen uh, doesn't suffer that same fate. (laughs) All right, before we finish up here, I got one question for you. We're talking about stability. How do you guys feel about Chris Greer and Brian Flores? Do you think they're they're stopgap guys, or do you think they're going to be here for five or ten years? Well, I think we've shown that Chris... Greer has at least done a respectable job, and that's something that you couldn't say about Ireland or the couple of guys before him. Uh, as far as Flores, you know, I'm, I'm my, I don't have an opinion yet. Yeah, it, it's really hard to form an opinion on him until we see the product and, and if we're going forward. And, you know, we really won't be able to comment on that until the end of this coming season, I think. I mean, you can't really expect a lot out of – the team that we are going to have on the football field this year. So if this guy has us going forward and we'll be able to see that right away, the penalties, the the stupidity over and over again in regard to decision-making from players, that's what we need to eliminate initially. And if we go forward in those in 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 those ways, that then, and putting players in position to succeed, exactly right. But putting putting a game plan out there that our guys are going to be able to manage and stay in football games against the better teams. You know, not go out there and get dominated. Not go, not not go out there and put six points on on the scoreboard in a half of football. It's it's just ridiculous. I mean, to watch this team is, is so frustrating. And that's what you got to hope for going into the season that this coaching staff brings something different to the Has table. answers. They got to have answers. You got to have it. You got to be aggressive. You've got to you've in in a certain aspect. You've got to be aggressive. You know what I mean by that? Oh yeah, uh, I, I you com- know on both sides of the football. I completely so, agree. On third and eight, throw eight yards. Yeah, exactly. No, Not no. throw the ball in the flat. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. and the, how about the excuses that were made week in and week out in regard to why. Why? Why Chall- did we not challenge throw people instead of letting them dictate the yeah. terms to you? Exactly. You know? yeah. Exactly. You know, make teams come in here and say, you know what, this team is playing some real football, right? You know, they're going out there and they're, and they're, they're busting they're, ass. They're, Even if you lose, you're busting ass. You're going it. out there, and you know what, it's going to be a fight. Exactly. On third down, guys, watch out because they're going to challenge you. You know, we're not going to throw the ball three yards on, on like you said, Mike, on third and eight. I mean, you know, these are the things that you want to see. So uh, to answer your question, Jim, at the end of this year, we'll be able to evaluate him and say, hey, you know what? This guy did a really good job with what he had to work with. Now let's go forward from here. And, and, and we'll see. I mean, let's hope that that's – listen, we can only hope that that's going to be the case. Because we don't want to be in that this situation again next year to where we're starting yeah, I, completely over again. That's my concern. If, if if Flores is terrible, it's going to be a big setback for us because 
we've already basically lost respect around the league as far as you know a winning tradition and so forth and so on if players if players want to go somewhere for a chance at uh, a super bowl ring they're not probably going to the to Miami you know you're signing in Miami because the weather's great and there's no state taxes and it's it's pretty south beach is enticing and- yeah there's i mean but there's no there's no grit there's no let's win this thing you know i just so if we get rid of Flores at the end of next year, it's 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 not. They're not going to do that. They signed yeah. him to a guaranteed five-year contract. He's yeah. going to be here at least for a couple of three years. I would think so. I think he's going to be here. And I think, you know, going back to what I was saying in regard to the last few drafts, I think Greer was de- definitely had his hand in on those drafts, and they've been pretty good. So, go, you know, and, and again – at the end of this year, we'll be able to evaluate all our draft picks from this year. And let's hope that Wilkins and some of these other guys, Dieter, they become solid foundation type guys on our team. And then you can say, you know what? Now Greer has done a pretty solid job in four of our drafts. This guy's got to be around. And now you have some stability. And so maybe maybe a guy like Van Gingle surprises or somebody else lower down that draft, the running back or, or any of those guys. The, you know, the, the receiver we signed, yes. Williams, and yes. uh, in free agency. Hey, yes. Mike, Mike. Yes. Having a linebacker look good. Wow. Well, that we would be it. that would be new. Yeah. Well, Baker looked pretty good. Yeah, I know it. I know it. But. He did at times, and you know, it, let's go back to the free agency real quick too. The fact that they didn't go out and do what we've done in the past, spend stupid money, is, an, is another thing it's we got to look at. It's a positive, a positive going into this year. You know, when they signed the uh, the tight end, what's his name, Allen, I was like, now didn't they just say that they're not going to spend stupid money right. and they go out right. and they sign a guy who really didn't have a great year with New England last year, but when they explained as to why they did it, it somewhat made sense, and I was okay with it. And they didn't really go forward from there with a lot of other signings that just didn't make any sense. So just the fact that they stood away from spending stupid money in this offseason is a positive as well, something that I've already, I'm already on board with that. Yeah, I was, I was ecstatic that they didn't you know, throw money at shiny objects. And absolutely, the other the other side of that is is if you go sign in big time players, uh, you don't get your compensatory picks from the guys you lost. So there was a method to their madness, and that's that's a great thing to see moving. That's forward. exactly right. There is a method to what they're doing. Yeah. Now we just got to hope it's the right method and it works. Yeah. Right. Well, nothing's uh, el- nothing else has worked, Mike. So you know yeah. we've got to go down a different road, and hopefully this is. Uh, the road to success. All right, guys. I think we covered it. Yes, uh, we did. I want to thank you for joining me tonight and, and everybody for listening. I hope they enjoyed the show and hopefully we're uh, in for some better times. Uh, fins up, everybody. Fins up, dolphins. Fins up, dolphins. <laughs>